When we look at the food and farm movement, it's important to be explicit that this pandemic is an extension of and continues to be a tool for worker exploitation. That we've always known food workers are essential and they have long been denied workplace protections and fair pay. They've long been seen as disposable. I'm Tanya Kerson, and this is Foodtopias, the podcast from Real Food Media that shares stories and strategies for reimagining our relationship to food, to the land, and to each other. This episode of Foodtopias looks at labor, specifically what it's like to labor during a pandemic in one of the most dangerous jobs there is, meat processing. I spoke with Axel Fuentes, executive director of the Missouri-based Rural Community Workers Alliance, and Christina Spock, a national organizer with Food Chain Workers Alliance, about what meat processing workers and other workers in the food system are experiencing and what their vision is for a society that protects and values the workers who feed us. So Axel, can you start by sharing a little bit about where you live and what it was like to work in the meat processing industry before the pandemic hit? We are based in northeast Missouri in a small town that's been called Milan. Mm -hmm. It's a small community, around 2,500 people live there. The major employer in Milan is a pork processing plant that is owned by Smithfield. Smithfield is the biggest pork processor in the world. Meat processing is one of the most uh, dangerous jobs mm. that exist. Since the moment when I came to this area, I have heard terrible stories about the conditions in the plant. Discrimination, do not have time or permission to take bathroom breaks. I hear stories from workers that defecated on the work line mm. uh, because they weren't allowed to take bathroom breaks. I hear many stories of workers getting injured either by repetitive motion or by accidents. Mm. I hear stories from workers that are uh, working very close to each other that even they stab their hands with the knives uh, because the speed of line is too high. They have to be standing the whole day in the same place doing the same thing eight or ten hours, sometimes seven or six days a week, sometimes 12 hours, uh, depending on the production and the plant depending how much pork they have to process mm -hmm. but um since 2007 up to today the company been increasing the production mm. and the number of pigs that are being killed every day and reducing the number of of the workforce which okay. means that workers are working harder and faster because the production is increasing and the number of workers been reducing. So 
how has the pandemic affected this day-to-day experience for workers um, working on the line? It has affected a lot. Before the pandemic, the conditions were actually bad uh, and very risky uh, working in the plant. So after the pandemic, obviously, this situation became worse. So this has been really uh, terrible since the pandemic came at the beginning, I think the third week of March, when uh, workers actually approached management through a letter requesting some measures to protect them or measures of prevention. They were concerned about uh, getting the virus, getting infected. So they were requesting the company to provide some PPE or personal protective equipment that the company was not providing anything mm-hmm. or, or the company was not doing anything, anything to protect them or to prevent the spreading of the virus by that time. So they were just running the company normally, like nothing was happening. And it was, uh, uh, and that's why the workers came together and, and uh, they were requesting the company to provide masks to, uh, to implement a physical separation. They were requesting hand sanitizers. They were requesting the company to pay them an extra money because they were taking the risk. They were requesting that the company should be responsible for any outbreaks or, or for any worker getting infected there. However, mm-hmm. the company didn't do nothing. So we had to file a lawsuit. Just to point out the timeline here, this was in March, correct? Because I think when most of the general public became aware of this is when the Smithfield plant ended up shutting down in South Dakota, which was in mid-April, I believe. But, you know, what you're pointing out is that a month before or at least, you know, before this happened, that workers were raising these issues. Absolutely. So in Milan, the company started to take some measures after we filed the lawsuit. Okay. Until then, uh, the company started to implement some measures. Not enough, because even today, the workers are still exposed and on high risk of getting infected because they are still, at this point, working shoulder to shoulder. There are some areas where they are still crowded, uh, like locker rooms, for example. Mm. And uh, the speed of the line is even higher because uh, there are workers that are not attending to work, either because they express symptoms of COVID-19 or because they were in close contact to someone who got tested positive. And uh, the company is not replacing those workers. Mm-hmm. That's why there is an overload of the conveyor belt and, of course, overload of work for the workers. So essentially what you're saying is that there are fewer workers because you know some workers are sick or were exposed to the virus, but that the production quotas, you know, those expectations have not changed. So the workers who are there are expected to work much harder and potentially under much and more dangerous conditions. Exactly. Exactly. It is more complicated now. I hear also stories from workers that the masks 
are not being replaced constantly and since they are sweating a lot these masks are getting all wet mm. which makes uh, harder for them to breathe so you know one of the the arguments that we hear is that companies across the country around the world like smithfield you know not only provide jobs but provide food um and so there's sort of a national food security argument that's being made in terms of keeping the plants running so i want to read you a quote from smithfield president and ceo kenneth sullivan from a news release back in april um, he says we have continued to run our facilities for one reason, to sustain our nation's food supply during this pandemic. We believe it is our obligation to help feed the country now more than ever. So what's your reaction to that? A lot of the meat that is being processed is actually for exports. Okay. And it's not even meat that was going to be consumed in the United States. So they claimed the shortage of meat in the United States, but it, it was actually more their low exports. So mm -hmm. they actually exported more meat, I think, after the pandemic than before. They, they didn't keep the plants running or working because the shortage of meat. They right. keep the plants running because the profits. He not only said that uh, they have to feel the country, but they also blame cultures of spreading the COVID-19, which is not true. They have thousands of workers confined under the same roof. That's why we hear a lot of uh, outbreaks in the meat processing plants. And when you say that he blamed culture, what you mean specifically is that he blamed uh, immigrants' culture for the spread of the virus. Exactly. He said that the way how uh, immigrants live, that they are living crowded in apartments or uh, mobile homes. Mm -hmm. He was blaming that. So what are you hearing from workers right now about what workers need in order to feel safe? Workers feel abandoned by the mm -hmm. institutions that are supposed to be taking care of them or protecting health and safety, because there is actually nothing enforceable. And uh, workers are being forced to go to work, either because they can get terminated if they do not attend to work, or uh, the financial situation also. In some cases, uh, companies are providing what they call incentive paying a little bit extra to workers to attend to work every day, but actually is a way to force them to attend because workers don't want to lose that money. All the bonuses or incentives, financial incentives are conditional to attendance. So that means if you do not attend to work in a day, you can lose that money. Yeah, that's one of the things that emerged around the closing of the plant in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, was this issue of cash bonuses for, you know, perfect attendance, which was really encouraging workers to show up to work, even if they had symptoms, right? Even if they were sick. 
So is the company continuing these kinds of, of incentives for attendance? Yes, they are. How does, you know, being an immigrant worker um, affect people's likelihood to get tested or to advocate for themselves and, and their health? Well, it's harder. The company is not informing the workers about everything in their own language. Okay. In this plant, there are a lot of uh, Latinx that works up in this plant or mm. French speakers. Okay. And I don't see like they are getting all the information. Mm. For example, yesterday I was talking with uh, uh, this German that told me that he has diabetes. And he said, well, I was going to work every day, even being in a high risk and being a diabetic. And I just found out that people with diabetes can actually stay at home, but he didn't know. Mm. And I said, well, they didn't notify you or they didn't say anything. And he said, well, the problem is that they displayed something, I think, on the screen, like a television screen, and they display that in English. And okay. he said, I found out through my coworkers, and I didn't know. And I was exposed there every single day without knowing that as a diabetic, I can stay at home. So turning to you, Christina, you're a national organizer with the Food Chain Workers Alliance. Can you just start by describing a little bit what the alliance does and what its relationship is to organizations like uh, Axel's organization in Missouri? Sure, yeah. For the past 10 years, Food Chain Workers Alliance members, including Axel and the Rural Community Workers Alliance, have been organizing to improve wages and working conditions for all food workers. The alliance represents roughly 370,000 food workers in the U.S. and Canada that um, harvest, pack, process, transport, sell, and serve our food, so all across the food chain. And Food Chain Workers Alliance members believe that in order to ensure that all food workers are free of exploitation, we must be building worker power across every sector of the food chain. You know, they've long been calling out how the labor and exploitation of food workers are invisible to much of the public and that government policies and business practices have consistently failed workers to dangerous and deadly proportions. That's why it's really critical for one to be protecting workers' rights to organize. Mm -hmm. I also just wanna lift up, you know, what Axel was sharing about workers having to choose between exposing themselves to COVID in the workplace or risking financial stability. This for one is really a symptom of poverty wages, right? Mm -hmm. Frontline food workers, are paid the lowest wages of any other worker in the U.S., and they are overwhelmingly people of color, women, and immigrants. So this is certainly a racial justice issue as well. Right. So what Axel just described in, in Milan, is that a pretty fair representation of what food workers are experiencing across the country? Absolutely. What Axel shared, we're hearing from Food Chain Workers Alliance members and frontline workers across the food chain and across all sectors. So for one, 
workers are experiencing unsafe workplaces with a deadly lack of adequate protective gear. Many workers are going without overtime pay, paid sick days, oftentimes health care, and also premium pay, which is additional compensation for the increased risk on the job. And then in some sectors, workers are seeing heavier workloads um, causing greater risk to their safety. We're hearing that from warehouse workers. For example, what we're seeing at meat packing plants that have become COVID hotspots, as Axel mentioned, increased line speeds even before COVID meant workers standing shoulder to shoulder without time to cover their mouths when they cough or take needed bathroom breaks. And just on that, the Union of Concerned Scientists released a recent report showing that eight states have fewer ICU beds than projected COVID cases among meat and poultry plant workers alone. Wow. So not only are there conditions that um, are not being addressed that facilitate the spread of COVID-19 in these plants, but there is not the demonstrated ability to take care of these folks once they get sick. Yes, it shows how the lack of protections for workers in the workplace extend beyond that workplace and into local communities, right? Mm -hmm. I would also say that despite these risks, food workers are organizing for safe working conditions through walkouts and strikes and collective action just to win basic workplace safety, right? Uh, we're seeing Familias Unidas por la Justicia has supported farm workers striking and winning protections in Washington state. Mm -hmm. Justicia for migrant workers in Canada are escalating pressure on their minister of labor and prime minister for farm workers to have enforceable standards and permanent status in the wake of worker deaths. Mm. Um, Burgerville fast food workers striking in Portland for safer workplaces and family leave. And Pioneer Valley Worker Center supporting immigrant food packing workers walking off the job in, in Western Massachusetts, as well as members like Laundry Worker Center and Kata who are helping to lead statewide campaigns in New York and New Jersey, you know, pushing for worker protections. And one big critical piece is OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, has yet to issue enforceable health and safety regulations for workers mm -hmm. during COVID. So while workers have filed over 4,700 complaints about COVID exposure specifically in the workplace, OSHA has only issued one citation. Wow. Christina, what demands is Food Chain Workers Alliance making right now to keep workers safe? Food Chain Workers Alliance members and allies have been calling on Congress since the beginning of March to, number one, provide extra pay to frontline workers and all essential workers who are continuing to risk their lives and put food on our tables. Number two is ensure financial relief is accessible to workers regardless of their immigration status, because for workers who aren't citizens, especially those who are undocumented, there are little to no options for relief. And thirdly, to push OSHA 
to issue COVID-specific health and safety standards because right now there are currently no requirements for employers to follow to protect workers from the virus. None of those demands have been met. We've been, you know, working with our allies and many people around the country um, to push for these kinds of protections for workers. When we look at the food and farm movement more broadly, it's also really important to be explicit that this pandemic is an extension of and continues to be a tool for worker exploitation. That we've always known food workers are essential in keeping us fed and they have long been denied workplace protections and fair pay. They've long been seen as disposable. You know, maybe if there's a silver lining here, do you see that the the pandemic is offering some sort of at least opportunity for greater visibility and for, you know, making progress in terms of advocating for workers' rights um, beyond the pandemic? I think there is a greater exposure of worker exploitation. The challenge is what are we going to do about it on the short term and long term? Fighting for worker protections, for fair pay, for protecting workers' rights to organize free of retaliation doesn't, you know, and it can't end with COVID. Um, We know building worker and community power are long-term fights that have to outlast the pandemic. Right. What do you think, Axel? Do you think that there's a unique opportunity now for making conditions visible that were present before the pandemic and are, are perhaps worse now? Obviously, the working conditions were always bad. Right. It just became worse when the pandemic came, and especially when uh, the meat processing plants became the hotspots. Mm. So I think that's on, until then when people actually realize that uh, and pay more attention to what the workers were facing in these plants, since not only affect the workers, but also affect the communities, the entire communities, Mm -hmm. because uh, we have to remark that a lot of these plants are actually located in uh, in rural areas and in small communities. One of the questions we will be asking all of our guests on Foodtopias is, what does Foodtopia mean to you? Or what is the world that you want to see? The world that I would like to see is a safe world for everyone. Mm. And in food chain, for food chain workers, um, obviously, a fair thing that they can get paid well, they can be treated with respect and dignity. So a lot of the workers say, okay, if we have to work because we have to feed the world or we have to feed the country, we are willing to go every day to work, but with at least with some protection. Mm. They obviously need to have access, unrestricted access to health care mm-hmm. uh, for immigrant workers. They wish they could go to the hospital and have access completely to hospitals or health care facilities with no problems regarding the immigration status. Mm-hmm. Uh, having also access to education uh, right. because a lot of the meat processing plant workers, there are a lot of workers that are young and they still want to go to school. They want to work being able to ensure 
that they also can have access to food because mm -hmm. in many cases food workers are not having access even to feed their families decently safety dignity fair wages healthcare education you know some leisure time to spend with family i think that's like a really complete and beautiful description of the world that we're working for and fighting for. Same question for you, Christina. What does Foodtopia look like? Yeah, Food Chain Workers Alliance members put together actually a collective vision, which can be found at foodworkersorganized.org. And it's grounded in basic principles that are exactly what Axel is lifting up. Work is valued and respected. Workers have the power to shape their own lives and that our food system is democratically controlled and grounded in migrant, racial, and, and gender justice. I also am inspired by what we're seeing from the movement for Black Lives and the abolitionist movement and this push to defund the police that seems to be calling on us to operate from a place of deep love and compassion and appreciation for people and communities, and I would add Mother Earth as well. After we recorded this conversation, the Food Chain Workers Alliance, Rural Community Workers Alliance, and others filed a civil rights complaint with the U.S. Department of Agriculture alleging that two major meat processing corporations, JBS and Tyson, engaged in racial discrimination prohibited by the Civil Rights Act through their workplace policies during the COVID-19 pandemic. The complaint alleges that these companies failed to enact social distancing and other protections to curb the spread of COVID-19 at their processing facilities, and that this resulted in a discriminatory impact on Black, Latinx, and Asian workers. To learn more about this historic complaint and the lawsuit brought by Rural Community Workers Alliance against Smithfield, and to learn how to support ongoing food worker organizing, visit Foodtopias at realfoodmedia.org. Thanks for listening to Foodtopias, growing food, cultivating utopia. I'm Tanya Kerson, and this episode was recorded from my home in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Foodtopias is produced by Real Food Media in partnership with our food movement allies and edited by Asal Isanapur. My co-producer is Tiffany Patton, and our theme music is Set Me Free by Will Magid. On the next episode of Foodtopias, Tiffany talks to Dr. Cindy Ayers, a dynamic farmer and educator carrying on a legacy of civil rights activism at Footprint Farms in Jackson, Mississippi. Don't miss it. To subscribe and listen to our two podcasts, Foodtopias and Real Food Reads, look for Real Food Media wherever you get your podcasts. For transcripts, resources, and information about our amazing guests, visit realfoodmedia.org.